what's this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson, and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining me on the show this week, as ever, we have Paul Whiteside from The Devil in the Detail. Look forward to this, Paul. Yeah, certainly am, mate. Certainly am. It's been a busy week, hasn't it? The rugby league season starting. We'll be talking all about that, plus the football and lots of other things as well. So, yeah, looking forward to a good show, mate. Yeah, we've also got Jane Sweetman from the Sweetman and Salisbury podcast. Looking forward to talking all things uh, sport in Salford and beyond. James? Oh, I'm buzzing for it, Rob. The football, the boxing, the martial arts. Can't wait to break it down with you over the next hour. Yeah, and what we're going to do, we're going to start with the boxing with you and Paul. We most certainly are, Rob, and there was a massive heavyweight fight over the weekend as Alexander Povetkin and Dillian White went to war once again. And the Brit was coming in with a point to prove after being knocked out cold in the last fight. But White made all the adjustments he needed to, put in a terrific performance and came away with a knockout win of his own. What did you make of this one, Paul? Yeah, I must admit. I didn't. I wasn't too sure before the fight. I, I listened to a few interviews in the week, and you know Dylan White seemed really focused, but he did seem to have a, a, a nervousness about him. But perhaps I am wrong. Perhaps that wasn't a nervousness. Perhaps it was him just really concentrating on the on the task in hand. You know, he'd been training over there in, in Gibraltar, hasn't he? The, the whole camp that they had there, and he's quite a humble guy, isn't he? He doesn't believe in all the, the yachts and the fancy stuff, does he? And uh, you no, know, watching the fight, I thought tremendous performance and just what he needed to do, really. I mean. I think he had Povetkin in his back pocket. He's, we we knew the the power of the two blokes and who connected first. But for me, it was with all Dylan White all the way through. He never really looked looked phased by anything. Povetkin threw it through at him really, and uh, a great win and um, fantastic knockout. And you know, against a, a really good good fighter in Povetkin. I mean, he's only been beaten twice, hasn't he? He's been beaten by two of the best fighters in Joshua and, and, and Klitschko. So it was a you know he's been a, a real solid fighter. I don't know where he sort of goes from from here. Now I'm I'm not so sure whether he retire or, or whatever. But he still probably has a lot to offer. But for for Dylan White, I think now it's got to be. Uh, you know, Deontay Wilder now for him, surely to God, that'd be that'd be an awesome fight. But great performance on, on Saturday night. So it's looking like Dillian White's going to be frozen out of the picture, probably for a year or two with the Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury fight going on. I mean, that could even be a trilogy of fights. You mentioned there the Deontay Wilder matchup. Is that the one that stands out, the one you want to see? Yeah, definitely. I think so. It's, it's a shame for, for Dylan White now, really, you know, with, like you said, being frozen out because he's he's got to stay fit now and look after himself and, and, and carry on building his legacy, if you like, before he can get the chance at either Fury or, or Joshua, because I think he will get another chance. I hope he does anyway, because, you know, he deserves it. And um, yeah, I think what, what better sort of mark on his card would that be to, to beat Deontay Wilder who is, is a really top fighter I mean, we know from the fights he's had with Tyson Fury he's up there with, with the best so if if Dylan White could could notch that one off and have that on his, on his record to take into a, a fight with either uh, Joshua or Fury I think that'd make it you know you know a really um a really good fight again. So, so yeah, I think that's the fight he's got to go for. Now, that's the fight the public would probably want us to see. There'd not be an awful lot of interest on both sides of the Atlantic with that one. Um, and, yeah, I think it'd be a, a, a great achievement if he could get that win. Absolutely. And Dillian White, of course, was knocked out so badly in the last fight by Povetkin. So, it would have been understandable if there's some demons in the lead-up to this. But how does it speak of Dillian White's mentality that he was able to get straight back in the ring with Povetkin and come away with victory? I think boxers, when they, they've, they've lost like that or, or when they've lost to anybody, I think you've always got in the back of your mind that you, you want to avenge that loss, don't you, no matter who it is. 
Um, it's like a block on, a blot on your copybook, really, and especially that that fight. I mean, you hold your hands up sometimes if you're beaten by a better fighter and he's outclassed you, and, and it's all about levels and things like that. But it wasn't for me that fight. But you know, Povetkin and, and, and White the first fight, you know, White had the measure of him. He put him down twice and was just caught by by a fantastic punch. And that, that's what happens in heavyweight boxing. You know, the, the guys are punching with that much power. You know, they connect and, and you get that sweet spot. Or you find that gap and, and somebody drops. You know, it's it's good night at Vienna, and that, that was the case that night. But I think he, yeah, they've had demons there, but I think those demons have drove him, drove him on for this fight, and, and they give him all the motivation in the world. And he looked a more motivated fighter to, to me than Povetkin did. I think there was only going to be one winner in that fight from from when the bell rang. To be honest with you. Now the fight's over and Povetkin's lost, and we look back on his career. I mean, he's been at the top of this sport for so long. I mean, he won a gold medal at the 2004 Olympic Games, and that just shows what a longevity this man's had at the top of the sport. He's beaten the likes of Dillian White, Marco Huck, Ruslan Shegiev, Carlos Takam, etc. And he's become a world champion himself, albeit there was some storied issues on the way. But what legacy has the Russian left on the sport? Tremendous legacy. I think he's one of those fighters that's so durable and it never ducks anybody. He's a really, really sort of Mr. Reliable, if you like. And I think when you when you see him there in the ring, you know, heavyweight boxing can be very, very tough and he never looks phased by anybody that he's fought. You know, everybody he's been in with, he's 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 been tough, he's been durable, he's he's a very hard, you ask any fighter, you ask sort of Joshua, you ask Klitschko, you ask Dylan White, who's probably the toughest bloke you've been in with? And, and I bet a few of them would probably say Povetkin because he is such a tough guy, such a hard guy to beat and um you know, he's come up with some wonderful wins as well throughout his, his career. So I think he's sort of forty, forty one now. So it all depends how he wants to go. I mean, we've seen in the news this week, Oscar De La Hoya is making a comeback, isn't he? I think 48. So, you know, it's probably not over yet for Povetkin if he if he wants to carry on. So probably depends what avenue he wants to go down now. But no, I think he's he'll be a fighter that'll be remembered, definitely, because um, he's, he's given us some, some, some great fights and some really entertaining nights. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned De La Hoya there, because we'll break down the announcement about his return in a minute or two. But just sticking with this card for a minute. Fabio Wardley, Eric Molina was the co-main event. Molina, of course, has been in there with the likes of Wilder and Joshua and fallen short. But he was still the biggest test of Wardley's career. And the Brit took a few shots, some unnecessary, and found himself hurt at one stage. Ultimately, he was able to come out with a money shot on his own and get the victory. Is Wardley being pushed a little bit too quick? Because Molina did stun him at points and maybe a better fighter could have knocked him out there. And what do you think would have happened if the original opponent, Lucas Brown, hadn't have pulled out? Do you think he could have beat Brown? Or do you think Brown's power would have been a bit too much for him? Um, no, I think I think Brown might have been a, a struggle for him. You know, he's a big lad, Wardley, isn't he? He's a, he's a big, strong lad. And actually had like 10, 10 fights or so now. And the, the guys he's fought have probably been at a level. I don't think he's fought anybody... Anybody anywhere near as good as Eric Molina, I think that's been a big step up for him. So hats off to him. You know, he's, he's won that fight and he's done what's been asked of him. But I think the Brown fight would have been a tough one for him. Um, I think maybe he could have beat Brown. I think so. It's difficult to, to say when the, you know, that that's that's been pulled out and that's not happening. But um, he can only be a fighter who he's, he's put in with. So yeah, I think perhaps they are rushing him a little bit really because uh, you know it was a big step up. But credit to him, he passed the test. But. It, it was tough, but it wasn't all plain sailing, was it? We know Eric Molina's a, a really tough guy, isn't he? And, uh, you know, a, a guy who's had an awful lot of fights, and he's been in there with a lot of big fighters as well and brings a lot of experience. But, uh, but no, it was a, a good result for, for Ward. You know, it's a result that gave him a lot of confidence anyway going forward. 
We also had a cracker between Ted Cheeseman and JJ Metcalf. Ultimately, Cheeseman came away with a victory. And is he somehow finding himself as maybe the most entertaining undercard fighter in this country? Somebody you can always stick on a pay-per-view bill and he's always going to deliver the goods. Ted Cheeseman is probably one of the most exciting boxers in, in Great Britain. Every fight I've seen him in have been absolute wars, haven't they? I mean, if you, you go back to the, the Scott Fitzgerald fight, that was an absolutely cracker cracker fight that uh, the Sam Eggington one was, was brilliant so as Yo Garcia was he had a draw with his Kieran Conway I think it was they've all been like fights that you could have you know you could have had on, in, in like a, in a phone box because he's just he's just so entertaining and he'll get on the guy's chest and he'll give it everything I wouldn't like to know how many punches he throws around but no I thought it was a terrific fight I think Metcalf as well another guy who's, who's, who's a decent boxer, you know, a decent level at, at super welterweight, but Ted Cheeseman, you know, deserved it there. He, he really deserved his victory. And I was surprised that I had, I probably had Metcalf down as, as the winner to that fight before, uh, you know, before it all, all kicked off. I, I thought he'd, he'd just edge Cheeseman there, but credit to Cheeseman, terrific fighter. And, uh, and yeah, you'd have him on any, any bill, any day of the week. He's a top fighter. There was also an interesting heavyweight matchup. Nick Webb dared to be great, taking on former Olympian Eric Pfeiffer. And last week I said the German might be a little bit too much for Webb, too much amateur pedigree. But I was proven completely wrong. Nick Webb not Pfeiffer out inside of two rounds, dropping him three times. Nick Webb is somebody who's rebuilt his career after losses against Dave Allen and Kamil Sokolowski. He won the ultimate boxer competition and he's just come away with by far the biggest win of his career against Pfeiffer. How far can Nick Webb go? Is there some interesting matchups for him? And did we all write him off a little bit too soon after those losses? Yeah, I think perhaps we did. Perhaps we did. I mean, I was very, very impressed with him last night. As you said, uh, Fife was a very, very good established amateur. And um, But Nick Webb didn't look uncomfortable in that fight at all. I think he bossed it from... from the minute one, you know, he was totally, he was the, he was the on top fight. He had, he had Pfeiffer on the back foot. He had him backpedalling an awful lot of the time. He had him in trouble early doors as well. So, uh, no, I think it was a complete uh, domination performance from, from Nick Webb. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's a big win on his, uh, on his, on his card that now. And, um, you know, at the age of sort of, what is he, early thirties, he's, he's got an awful lot in him. He's, he's a big lad as well. And he could be somebody who, who mixes it. You know, sometimes you get that sort of late start that comes up through the ranks. We've seen it before with fighters where, you know, they don't sort of hit the peak until their early thirties. And he could be one of those guys that, that gets up there, gets into that top 10 and, and starts causing problems because there's going to be big fights out there. We just mentioned before that, um, you know, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, those sort of people are out now for, for 12 months. They could be having trilogies and that. Dylan White could look at somebody like, like Nick Webb or Nick Webb could be challenging himself against somebody like that in a, you know in 12 months' time. So who knows? But you've got to win these fights to, to, be, to get the bigger fights, haven't you? So last night was a was a big positive for him, a big, uh, a big turning, uh, a good cornerstone for him is the word I'm looking for. And the last one on the bill I want to break down with you, Paul. An element of nostalgia with this one. Blue Moon playing once again. Of course, the anthem associated with Manchester's finest, Ricky the Hit Manhattan. His son Campbell took for his debut, his first ever time in the professional ranks. Did you feel a little bit emotional, Paul, watching somebody who is the son of a hero that we've all had? Well, yeah, I think um, it's a bit like when we see... Um... You know, Conor Ben and, and Chris Eubank Jr., we remember, you know, the, the well, I do anyway, you're a bit younger than me, you re- remember the, the, the fathers, don't we, and that, and it does seem strange, you know, Ricky Atten's give us some some fantastic nights, hasn't he? I mean, I remember listening to his, his world title fight on, on the radio when he fought uh, against Manny Pacquiao, that's that's a long time ago, and, uh, you know, really enjoyed those nights, so, so yeah, very, very impressed with uh, with Campbell Hatton, you know, he doesn't have to look like his dad as well, but yeah, it was, it was really exciting, and, 
you know, if he can give us some of those great nights in Manchester and around the country that, and around the world that uh, Ricky Atten can, I think it adds to excitement in the sport. But uh, but yeah, I think he, I think he's going to be a really good fighter. He's only twenty, so he's got you know years ahead of him. Moving on to somebody else who's given us Ricky Hatton-esque nights with his loyal Northern Irish fan base is Carl Frampton, who will attempt to become a freeweight world champion out in the Middle East against Jamal Herring. And it's a tough matchup for Frampton. When he said he will retire if he doesn't win. Jamal Herring is a good champion, but is Carl Frampton capable of beating him and becoming a true legend of the sport? It's a tough, a tough one, really, that, James. It really is. We all know that Carl Frampton's had some... Some real wars, hasn't he? He's, he's probably getting towards that 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 back end of his career now, and you know it's this is yeah. I think this this is probably be his last fight if he's, to, if he's to lose this one. And you know Herring, very very tough competitor, and he's a similar age to Frampton, I think, and he's no sort of spring chicken. But this is a, this is a big big fight, isn't this? And a, and a real tough one for him. If I had to to put my money on it, I'd probably go with Carl Frampton. I, I think he's been a terrific boxer throughout his career, and. And, and been in with the best, hasn't he? So, uh, so why not? I'd, I'd love to see him. Uh, love to see him win that and become a three-weight world champion. Yeah. An interesting thing in regards to this fight, Paul, is the broadcasting that's going to surround it. I mean, originally it was meant to be on BT Sport, and then the fight fell through and was somehow weirdly moved to Abu Dhabi, where it was then going to be promoted by MTK. Apparently, it was going to be streamed by their associate site IFL, and now Mike Coppinger's saying that it's going to be on Channel Five. I mean. It's a bit difficult for British fans here because it's a fight that everybody wants to watch, but we don't know where it's going to end up. Do you, do you think there's any reason why it's been so complicated and thrown around to so many channels? No, I don't really, I don't really know why. To be honest, you think Carl Frampton's quite an A-list boxer, really, isn't he? You know, the, some of the guys he's fought and some of the, the you know fights he's been in with some of the best in the world. You'd think it'd be right up there on a on a Sky Sports bill or a Box Nation bill or, or, or whatever. So I'm not too sure on that, but it'd be a real shame if you didn't get to see it because uh, especially if it you know, turned out to be his last fight. I mean, I'm saying, you know, he'd retire if he, if he lost this fight. He could also retire if he wins this fight as well, couldn't he? So uh, it'd be an awful shame if he didn't see, uh, you know, Carl Frampton's last fight. So I hope, you know, something can get sorted. Now, moving on to Triller, they've been making multiple announcements this week. They had two press conferences in one. The first was Jake Paul, the YouTuber, taking on Ben Askren, the former mixed martial artist. And they also announced the return of Oscar De La Hoya, as you mentioned earlier. 48 years of age, back in the ring. I mean, Paul, how do you feel? Are you happy about this one? A true legend, the golden boy, back in the ring again? Or is it a little bit sad? At the age of 48, he doesn't really need to do this. But, I mean, you know, he's also, you know, substance problems. Does he need the money? What's going on with this one? She's a strange one, James. It really does. I mean, he's not fought since the, you know, he retired after the Pacquiao fight, didn't he, in 2008. And 2008 seems an awful long time ago now, doesn't it? So, uh, I don't know. The last time I saw Oscar DeLoyer on the television, he looked like he put an awful lot of weight on as well. So, I don't really see what he's got to gain from this, and it's not as if he's, you know, I'm 38, and I mean, I'd think twice about making a comeback if that was me. But 48, you know, you're knocking on a bit there, aren't you? And your body is going to be totally different to what it was, you know, what's 2008, 13 years ago. So he's 35 then. So that 13 years, your body will have aged an awful lot since then. Um, and, and can your body still hold out, you know, taking punishment and that? So I don't know. I think. It, Sometimes we hear a lot of this, don't we, about boxers making comebacks. I mean, a couple of years ago, there was rumours about Johnny Nelson coming back and I think Steve Collins and Chris um, Eubank and things like that and nothing sort of sufficed in the end. But it does seem a bit sad sometimes. I mean, once you've had your day and you've retired, that should be it and you should be happy. You know, Oscar Delahoy has done an awful lot in his career and he's, he's achieved things and that. So surely he'd be happy with that now and just leave the gloves hung up. 
And in regards to Jake Paul, the YouTuber, and Ben Askren, the former mixed martial artist, Triller is selling this fight for all it's worth, trying to get a young crowd in to watch this one. My question to you is, Paul, it seems a bit... It seems a bit uncomfortable, really, because Ben Askren at this press conference backstage was sat down with his wife and Jake Paul, the YouTuber, came over to him with 30 of his uh, cronies and started shouting abuse at him left, right and centre. Things like, this is the fight game, all that sort of stuff. It seems to be a little bit disrespectful that a YouTuber can come in and start slinging abuse at somebody, you know, who's been in a cage and had his fights and had that experience. What do you make of it all, Paul? Um, oh, I have to be careful what I say here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think disrespectful is the word, um, probably a, a, a sort of mild word for it, really. But you're just hoping, I mean, I am anyway, that he gets put in his place in this fight, really, because there's no need for that sometimes. You, you see that, and it's very disrespectful. And he seems like the sort of person that, you know, after the fight, probably wouldn't shake hands with, with the other guy anyway, or or have that sort of respect. And sport should be about respect. It's not all about mouthing off and, and, and this, that, and the other. You know, it, it's sport at the end of the day. Yeah, people want to win and people want to be competitive. But to me, sport should have that air of respectability and that air of class about them as well. So uh, he obviously hasn't got any of that. So uh, let's just hope he gets uh, gets flattened in that fight. Yeah, and it's one thing, you know, these YouTubers taking to the ring, but it'd be nice, I suppose, if we had a bit of professional commentary, you know, the, the likes of your Matt Kellermans and your Adam Smiths, etc. But this fight's going to be commentated on by Snoop Dogg and comedian Pete Davidson. And we talk so regularly of whether, you know, these celebrities coming into the sport is a good thing. But does it need to be combined with professional commentary or does it suit having, you know, these A-listers, celebrities who don't really know much about the sport talking about it? Um, I don't It depends what, what they want from it. If you want something to be professional and, you know, to have a bit of respectability about it, surely you've got, you've got to do things right. I mean, I don't really know what how Snoop Dogg's going to go and commentate on a, on a fight. I'm not too sure. But it does seem to have that sort of... You know, it seems a bit of a farce, really, doesn't it? And it does, it, it loses that. You know, I'm thinking about this now, and you, you're not really selling this this to me. I'm, I'm thinking about it, thinking, I, I don't really want to watch that. I'm not bothered. But I'm sure people will do. And I suppose it, it's it's horses for courses, isn't it? It's up to them, really, what they want to watch. But no, I, I, I think I'd rather watch something a bit more respectable. I'd rather watch a white collar show, I think, in, in the UK. In, they've lost one. Uh, they brought in one legend in Oscar De La Hoya and lost another in Mike Tyson, who says he doesn't want to work with Trilly anymore. Do you think the way they're promoting their fights is turning away the likes of the legend like Mike Tyson, who maybe will see this as a bit of a joke? Yeah, possibly. So some of those bits, your know, guys like Tyson, perhaps don't want to be involved in that sort of sort of circus, really, isn't it? I suppose, and they don't want it damaging their reputation. I'm not too sure whether I would as well if that was you know if it was me doing that. So uh, so I can understand that where where they're coming from. They really can because it's boxing's a, a noble sport, isn't it? Sometimes and like like we me and you were chatting in the week, wasn't we? We were talking about the um, you know some of the scoring and the and the underworld of boxing and the, and the nasty side of boxing that we don't all see. But there's the documentaries about things like that now on the telly and. You know, I, I'd, I'd I'd hate to see it put people off the sport because over the last decade or so. The sport has gone from strength to strength. You look at some of the box office clashes that we've had, you know, the Wembley stadiums with Carl Froch and George Groves, 80,000, 90,000 people watching the sport. The sport has really gone from sort of being, I'm not saying little known, but, you know, it's gone A-list, hasn't it, really, really boxing now. And it's really up there and the, the public, you know, not just boxing fans watching it, you know, people who, you know, lay people who are not really interested in boxing, you know, they get talking about it, don't you, on, on social media and that. So let's not hope it kills that. Let's hope it keep the sport keeps growing. Absolutely. And something else that might help grow the sport is Sonny Edwards. It's very rare in this country that we see the flyweights in action. Outside of it, you know, we've had the likes of Roman Gonzalez and 
Juan Estrada, etc., capturing the imagination in the States. But a Brit like Sonny Edwards is going to be fighting for a world title April 30th against the African champion Moretti Mafalane, who has the IBF belt. Is it good that a little guy is getting primetime television in the UK? Yeah, it certainly is. It's funny you say that. We don't really see much of the of the lighter men, do we, sometimes? And yeah, I, I think so, definitely. Uh, you know, um, his brother Charlie Edwards is a, is a cracking fighter, isn't it? We've not seen much of Sonny Edwards, but no, I, I think they should get a bit more exposure. And, you know, people like Eddie Hearn and that, they, they give these guys a chance because there's some terrific fighters as well. I've seen some cracking fights, you know, down at that weight. So, uh, so yeah, really pleased for him, and I'm sure that'll be a great a great fight. Now, a rematch that's been ordered by the WBC is Oscar Evas versus Bryant Jennings. The two fought a few years ago with Jennings, I think, winning 11 rounds and then ended up getting knocked out himself in the 12th. It's been ordered for the Bridgeweight World title, which is the new division that your WBC have brought in just below a heavyweight. For me, Paul, this really complicates things because none of the other sanctioning bodies have brought this weight class in. Is it necessary? And is this a fight that's worthy of being for a world title? Yeah. Yeah, well, I said I was going to say yeah. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure on that one, but uh, we'll have to just go with it now, won't we? Have to go with it and, and see what happens, really. But it's a tough question that you've, you've thrown at me there <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> now, the former cruiserweight champion Alexander Usyk has been struggling to organise his next fight with Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua potentially fighting in a undisputed world title fight, and then. Joe Joyce and him haven't been quite able to agree on contracts. Dana White of the UFC, the president, has given Alexander a massive offer to come over and fight in the UFC. Usyk said he's considering this one. Is this something you'd be intrigued to see, or should he just focus on what got into the dance, his boxing? No, uh, I think he should just focus on his boxing, though. I really do. You don't. To me, he's doing well in, in boxing. He's done well since he moved up to heavyweight. Um, that could be a fight for, for Dylan White there. I sound like Eddie Hearn now. I'm not promoting things, but that could be an avenue he could go down. Um, but no, I, I just want to see Alexander Usyk in boxing now because he's he's done really well, hasn't he? To, like you said, to, to get up there and get his name up there and, and now being in that big division there where it's going to be difficult because like, like you say, with, with, with Fury and Joshua now, we don't know how many fights uh, they're going to have. You know that that could rumble on now for eighteen eighteen months two years, so that could take them two out. So it takes a shine off off the other fighters, but but surely now Usyk will, will stick in that now. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see if he gets his head turned and goes goes over doing that. That's that's up to him. But I'd I'd rather just see him stick to boxing. Yeah, coming to the end of the boxing now, Paul Amir Khan, one of the biggest stars in this country in terms of boxing. He's announced a partnership with BBC Three. He's going to have his own reality TV show, which follows the lives of him and the rest of his family. Is this something that's going to be good for Amir Khan to build a bit of a higher profile, to get people watching him, to get interested in him again? Or is this taken away from his boxing career? Could go either way, that really, James. It, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, you think now at his time in his career, he'd just be solely focusing on his boxing, wouldn't you? And, uh, you know, I'm not sure how old Amir Khan is now, but I'm not really sure how long he's got left at the at the top level, but you'd think he'd want to concentrate on that. Now, it, for me, this is just my, my opinion, but I think things like that can, I don't know, take your mind off things, can't they? And you know what boxers are like? They, they live a lifestyle, don't they, where they, they're machines, really, aren't they? they? They get up, they box, they eat everything they eat and drink, everything is designed around your lifestyle as a boxer. So I don't know whether I'd want everybody seeing what I was up to and seeing all my secrets and seeing what I get up to all the time. It's... I don't know. Perhaps it's for some people and it's not for others, but it wouldn't be for me. Absolutely not. Now, I'm going to throw back over to Rob as we talk about the UFC. 
Yep, James, there's been a change of guard at the UFC 260 as the greatest heavyweight of all time was knocked out cold. Tell us about all that. He was. We broke this down last week, didn't we? Steve Miocic, the greatest heavyweight to have ever lived versus Francis Ngannou, the biggest puncher to have ever lived. And it was an intriguing one, wasn't it? Steve Miocic, last time out, was able to solve the Ngannou puzzle, was able to get past the power, was able to neutralise it and wrestle his way to a decision. So could he do it again? That's the question. It turned out he couldn't. Francis Ngannou laid him out with a thunderous left hook and... To be honest with you, Rob, it wasn't an overly competitive contest. We're used to Francis Ngarni being this big, massive man with one-punch power and that being just about it. But he's showed now that he's so much more. He's developed in the two years since that last fight and he looked absolutely terrific. Stipe Miocic just seemed beat from the word go. He didn't win any part of the fight. And usually, at the end of these fights, it's, well, could somebody with better technical ability beat Francis Ngarni? This time, I think not, because the greatest heavyweight of all time was outclassed in every single area on Saturday night. And I don't think that was something that anybody expected. We all thought it was just going to be a one-punch knockout if Francis Ngarnie was to win. None of us expected him to defend takedowns, to fight how he did, to control distance how he did, and to outbox Stipe Miocic. And to have done that to the greatest heavyweight of all time, seemingly so easily, it leads us to believe that Francis Ngarnie could hold that heavyweight belt for a very long time to come. Uh, what improvements has the now champion made since his first fight? He's made lots, uh, Rob. His boxing looked far better, far crisper. His shots were nowhere near as well. He's got takedown defence. Miocic was, wasn't able to take him down at will this time. I mean, in the first fight when Miocic was hurt, he was able to dive and get a takedown. This time when he attempted that, Ngannou stuffed it and defended it with ease and was just capable of landing punches for fun. He also didn't rush in which is something I know. It's usually when he hurts people, he storms in, tries to land blows. This time, he was calmer, and I think that makes him even more scary because he's learning the game now. He's getting better and better and better. And Miocic, who has been the heavyweight champion for so long, about half a decade now, to be beaten so easily, I don't know, it's very scary stuff, Rob. How big a superstar can this new champion be? And is he the biggest success story in the sport? He's a massive success story, Rob. I mean, this is a man who used to work in the sand mines, uh, the sand mines in uh, Cameroon, who then attempted to escape his own country and was captured several times, I think 10 times, trying to flee to Spain for a better life for himself and was sent back to Cameroon. On the last attempt, he managed to do it. He was then imprisoned. He was released in Spain. He spent time homeless. He was eating out of you know bins. He was living in forests. He was just doing everything he could just to survive. And then he stepped into a boxing gym and everything changed for him. He ended up becoming this superstar. You don't see stories like this very much. I mean, every now and again, we see the stories of people sleeping in the cars, but we rarely see somebody cross, you know, halfway across the world, evading capture to become a UFC world champion. I think he's got monstrous star power, especially considering how quickly he's knocking people out. And the UFC state that he hits as hard is a Ford Escort moving at its highest pace, according to punch statistics on punch machines. So he can be a massive start, and he has that Mike Tyson effect of anybody who gets in the ring with him is going out inside a round. That's what makes him so scary, and that's what makes him potentially the biggest star in the sport if he's managed in the right way. Is John Jones like to be the next contender? I think so. John Jones is considered the most naturally talented fighter to have ever lived. And he's somebody who's been flirting with a move up to heavyweight for a very long time. 
I think now is the time to capitalise on that. I mean, there's been former heavyweight champions, the likes of, you know, Miocic and Cain Velasquez, etc. He's been around during John Jones' day. But none of them have the star power that Francis Ngannou has. So I see this being one of the biggest fights in UFC history. And it'll be, an, it'll be extremely intriguing to see if John Jones, the master in the octagon, the absolute genius, can find a way to beat this new and improved Francis Ngannou. It's definitely the fight I want to see. What next for the former champion, James? For me, Rob, Stipe Miocic should have retired after his last fight with Daniel Cormier. At the age of 38, I just didn't feel this rematch with Ngannou made sense. He'd already beaten him once before, and he'd beaten him easily. So taking on a fighter who hits so hard just seemed like an unnecessary risk. He could have retired, and he would have been deemed the best of all time. That legacy's in a bit of doubt now, which is harsh to say because you don't want to rule out everything else that he's achieved in his career. But, you know, people are like that. There's so much recency biased in sports. There truly is. So for me, Steve Miocic, I don't think there's a way he can beat this new and improved Francis Ngannou at 38 years of age because it's going to be at least a year till he gets another opportunity. It'll be 39 by then. Ngannou will have got even better. So for me, Miocic, maybe one last fight in Cleveland, his hometown. And then I think he should retire, to be honest. Final UFC question, James. Uh, UFC 261 next month will have 15,000 fans in attendance. Uh, is this too early? For me, Rob, it is. I mean, there's still a global pandemic going on. And I don't understand how in the last fight there's nobody in attendance. And then in just a month's time, they're going to get 15,000 in. I mean, it's got to be fantastic to see all these fans packed into a stadium. It's been so long since we've seen it. But for me, it's a little bit risky, Rob. I've got to be honest. Paul, what about you? Do you think it's too early for 15,000 fans to be put inside a, a sporting stadium in the next month? Sorry, Rob, can you say that again? <laughs> Do you think it's it's too soon for 15,000 fans to be put inside a stadium? Um, oh, I don't know. Um, well, I don't... <laughs> that's a tough question, though. Um, is it inside or outside? It will be inside. Inside, um, yes. people have had the injections and whatever, and they be careful and don't all go hugging each other and coughing and kissing each other. Then I suppose you've got to get right sooner or later, and they've got to trial these things, haven't they? So, but, but be careful, that's my advice to you. Be careful, <laughs> yeah. Be careful, all you sports fans out there. Uh, I'm sure we'll all be watching sport from the, from the terrace, um, sooner uh, than we think. So that's all the UFC chat. Now what we'll do, we'll talk uh, football and we'll start, uh, James, with Salford City. They sacked their head manager, head coach, Richard Wells, uh, last week. Um, what do you make of that? It's not a difficult one, isn't it, Rob? I mean, Salford have been doing well overall this season, but the run of form that Salford have been on as of late hasn't been good at all. I mean, they've been losing quite a lot and... Week in, week out, we seem to be saying, this is a must-win game for Salford. This is a must-win game for Salford. This is a must-win game for Salford. And they're not winning them. They keep losing or just picking up draws, and it's not good enough. And it's not ideal for Salford to have sacked another manager so shortly after Graham Alexander, but if he's not doing the business, he's not doing the business. Yeah, Paul, his record is played third... Well, managed 30, won 11, drew 10, lost 9. So it's it's not like it's a, a terrible record uh, to, to be sacked with. No, far from it, Rob. Um, I think that's what you get when you've got people who own the club who, who want instant success. And, and I think that's the way sport is these days. I mean, sometimes it's about consolidating. And, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, as they say. But it seems like in football these days, 
Um, particularly at certain clubs that the managers don't get time, do they, to, to build things up? But I don't know, me looking at that, I think, what do you want? You can't keep sacking managers, it's not going to work. Now, how do the players respond to that? You've got players who are probably just building a relationship with a manager, just starting to get to know him. And then you've sacked him and brought somebody else in. So that manager that comes in is only going to have the same squad of players to work with. So is it going to work? Only time will tell. Yeah, he won one trophy. He's 10 points off uh, promotion, uh, James. And, and I just think, personally, I think it's a rash decision. Um, sometimes football clubs go through barren patches. And for me, this is what's happening with, with Salford at the moment. They've not scored in nine hours. And, and I think that the top brass at, at, at Salford City have, have gone a bit twitchy and gone early. But it's their club. They decide what to do. They absolutely do, Rob. And do you think Salford are a bit of a dangerous position of just sacking manager after manager and after manager? And in hindsight, was the Graham Alexander decision the right one? It was a really bad decision, to be fair, James. I just think that they need to to really consolidate what what's going on with with with, with what's you know Salford, and it really is a situation where they've they've got to steady the nerve. But the decision's been made, Paul, and you know they've got to. You know, go forward from here. Yeah, well, that's it. Once the decision's been made, the the club have got to get on with it now, haven't they? You know, you, you live by your decisions, don't they? At the end of the day, and um, I'm, I'm sure they've drawn a short list up of who they want to to take over. But like you said, there, I think the Graham Alexander decision was a bit a bit hasty for me. But you, you you've got to listen to the owners. I mean, they own the, the club. They they pay the wages, and that was. If we don't think it's right, it's probably. Uh, Probably not up to us to say, is it really? But let's just see what happens. I mean, it's a strange game, football, isn't it? You know, a week or so ago, they're winning at Wembley and lifting a trophy. Then the week after, the manager's out. So it can be a very un- unforgiving sport and certainly bring you back to back down to the, the ground very quickly. Yeah, uh, Gary Bowyer uh, has brought in his replacement, James. Uh, Ex-Derby County, ex-Bradford City. He's got experience and that's what uh, Salford City need in this situation to keep everyone going in the right direction. Yeah, they most certainly do, because morale at the club isn't very good at the moment. So they need somebody with a bit of experience who's managed at an even higher level than this one to get the players excited. And if you know as a lower league player that this man has been around the likes of the Derby players, you want to impress him, don't you? You want to show that you're just as good as those players. So I think it's a great appointment and hopefully he can do some good while he's there. Didn't start very well, though, Paul. Defeat away at Exeter. Uh, this week, 1-0, close game. Uh, I think Salford hit the, hit the bar at one point, uh, but not a great start, but we're hoping uh, uh, better to come. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Well, Gary Bowyer, um, decent manager. I remember him managing at Blackburn. He's uh, he's, he's got an awful lot of experience, hasn't he, in, in higher leagues than the one that Salford are in. But no, not the best of starts, but fair play to Exeter, a decent team out there. They're chasing promotion themselves. So it was always going to be a tough, tough ask going down there to St. James's Park on the uh, on the coast there. So tough, tough game. But uh, but no, they've, they've still got you know stuff to play for this season. 10 points away from promotion now. Uh, is it the playoff places? So they've they've got a bit to do now, but you string a few wins together and you, and you don't know. There's still quite a bit of the season left to, to, to go out. And uh, Gary Bowyer, I'm sure, will want to make his mark. Yeah, they've got Grimsby at home and then they travel to Forest Green away, uh, Bank Holiday Monday, James. Opportunity for two wins there. Yeah, most certainly. But we've been saying that over the last few weeks that, you know, they've had opportunities to win and they haven't. But hopefully with a new manager, they can pull it off with all the wanting to impress. I mean, Grimsby, bottom of the league, and they're at home. I mean, Salford really should be winning this one if they want any chance of getting into the playoffs because time's running out. 
Yeah. Uh, let's talk international football. England were in action uh, this week. They beat San Marino 5-0 and then beat Albania 2-0. Uh, James, uh, good result for uh, Gareth Southgate's men. Yeah, 100%. You expect to beat San Marino, don't you? Not the greatest of side. I mean, Albania are only slightly better than that. The true tester coming up is going to be against Poland. That's a very tough game. I mean, the likes of Lewandowski and the rest of the side, Poland come with some real firepower. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on. And with a win there, they can push on for the Euros. Yeah, and then domestic action comes back into play for our local sides, Paul. Man United are at home to Brighton this week and Man City are away. Um, Two particularly, you know, could be two tricky ties there. Who's Man City playing, sorry, Rob? Leicester away. Leicester away, sorry. Yeah, yeah, two tricky ties, yeah. Um, Leicester City have been playing pretty good, haven't they, the last couple of weeks? I saw the, the game against Manchester United in the FA Cup. Very impressed with that. Uh, it was a shame, that, because I thought it was going to be all on an FA Cup final between the two Manchester clubs. But no, two uh, two tricky games. Manchester City probably expected to beat Leicester. Or, and I'd expect Manchester United to beat Brighton, so I'm hoping for, uh, for six points there between the two clubs. Yeah, final bit of football, Paul. Obviously, City going for the uh, the quadruple. Um, what do you think? It'll be very hard, Rob. I think it'll be very hard to to win that. Um, you know, the, the the cups. They've got the League Cup final, haven't they? Coming up against Spurs, they've got Leicester. Um, Leicester, who they got the FA Cup semi final? Uh, is it Leicester? No, they've got. Um, who is the semi final? The FA Cup. Leicester's got Southampton. City have got. Uh, I can't remember now. Chelsea. Chelsea, sorry, yeah. So that's that's going to be tough, and your Champions League is, is difficult. I think the Premier League is more or less sewn up at the moment, so it's not impossible. I think it'd be an amazing achievement if they were to do it, but uh, I don't know if I had to put my, my mortgage on it. I'd probably say I win three of them, but I think the four is going to be, be a tough ask. But hope they do it. Really hope they do it. It'd be great. Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see what the Blues can do. Uh, let's talk uh, Manchester Storm now, Paul. It's uh, looking like an exciting time for them. Yeah, certainly is, Rob. Have they got some fixtures coming up soon? Yeah, we play Coventry Blaze uh, on Saturday. First game of the Elite League. Um, very exciting uh, time. Coventry, very dangerous team. They've got Janny Lack Conan. He's a forward uh, for Coventry. He was picked in the Elite League uh, Team of the Year 2019-2020. Uh, so they have to keep an eye on him if they want to secure the points. Yeah, certainly. Can you watch this online at the weekend, Rob? Is it, is it available to view? Yeah, you can you can buy them online. Uh, you can go on to the Manchester Storm website and uh, purchase uh, up to 12 games for £99. That's £8.25 a game, Paul. So that's great value uh, for all you ice hockey fans out there who want to see Storm in this elite, com- elite competition. Yeah, and Storm have been very busy in the transfer market with some uh, some great signings. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, Storm been really busy. Uh, they signed uh, Ben Davis. He's a Welsh uh, international. He's represented Great Britain as well. He scored the winner for Great Britain against France to, to stop him from uh, getting relegated in the in the in the world sorry the Europa League uh, competition. He, he played for Guildford before. He's played uh, forty five games and forty five games and won. Uh, and scored 10 goals. So he's he's going to be very good, I, I think, uh, for Storm. Uh, Cam Critchlow, uh, he's played for Storm before. Played uh, 45 games, scored nine goals. He's Canadian uh, and a forward as well. So that, like I said last week, uh, the more forwards are better for Storm. It's going to be uh, interesting to see what happens there up front. Uh, they've also been busy as well, strengthening the defence. They've got Harry uh, Gulliver. He's played for under-21 Great Britons. He's he's going to be a very interesting uh, acquisition for 
uh, the Storm. Uh, he, was the, he was the EIHA All-Star player uh, for three seasons in a row, um, which is which shows how much quality he has. Uh, they've also signed Andreas Slakavstad. Uh, he's a Norwegian national and he's a defender. And you know what? I think he's going to be a great foil uh, for Dallas Earhart, who was, he was their sort of mainstay in that centre-half position. I think him and, and Dallas will certainly uh, strengthen uh, that Storm defence and, and you know you're looking forward to, to the players like Maxime Fortier who's Canadian plays on the right wing he's been playing in Bratislava uh, this season played 36 games scored uh, 8 goals uh, so you know he's, he's there players that are coming in uh, to boost the Storm's ranks and, and that's what you want you want players to take Storm to that next level because you know we, we looked last season and they, and they lacked uh, a lot of uh, you know composure I thought in front of goal but for, for me they brought in some some players who, who were going to make a difference He certainly sounds like they've been busy there and some, some quality coming in Rob they've also uh, brought in a new goalkeeper as well yeah, Sean Boner, uh, goalkeeper, played in Jacksonville uh, this year. He's 30-year-old, very experienced, Paul. He's played in, in five leagues. He's played in the British Columbia, the ECAC, the ECHL, uh, Southern Professional League and the American League. So, you know, Sean's been around. He knows what's uh, to be expected when he plays in, you know, good quality ice hockey teams. And he's picked Manchester Storm uh, for, his, for this season, the Elite League, and, and it's only going to benefit him and the Storm because, what I think with ice hockey, your goalkeeper is very, very important because them hockey pucks come at you really quick and you need good reflexes. You need to be very agile and, and this guy is. You certainly do. You certainly need to be very brave as well. When does the action get underway, Rob? And have we got a score prediction from yourself? Yeah, starts on Saturday, uh, Paul. I'm going for a Storm win. I'm going to go Manchester Storm 5, uh, Coventry 3. Right, if you roll that down, because we'll hold you to that next week. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think they're strong enough to, to get a win on that first uh, first uh, game. And, and the Elite League, you know, super exciting for all the ice hockey fans to be able to tune in and, and, and watch their, their, their team, especially what's going on with the pandemic, Paul. It's it's difficult. We you know we, we follow Salford, don't we? And it's been difficult, uh, you know, watching uh, on the TV and, and feeling that distance. So it's great that they managed to get this uh, Elite League together and hopefully Storm can uh, can get together and, and, win, and win it. Yeah, it should be an enthralling uh, competition, Rob. We're looking forward to seeing how it pans out over the next few few months on, on the sports zone. And best of luck to Manchester Storm against Coventry at the weekend. Yeah, so let's talk uh, Rugby League now, Paul, and Salford Devils. Uh, they were in action this week. They took on St Helens, but were defeated 29 points to six. Uh, talk us through the game, Paul. Yeah, it was. A, we always knew it was going to be a tough game playing against St. Helens, the, you know, the champions from from last season, and they came out fired up. I thought for the game, a couple of mistakes from from Salford early doors. Let's say Helens in Tommy Makinson went over to score a try there, but for large parts of the first half, it was um, you know, it was a real arm wrestle. Really, Salford's forward stood up to be counted and improved a good test. Dan Sargent played well. Danny Addy and and, and a new signing Elijah Taylor I thought was excellent in that first half getting through tons and tons of work uh, Saints knocked a penalty goal over and then, then got another try from another Salford mistake and then dropped a goal right on half time to give him a 13 points to nil lead but uh, you know at 13-0 I, th- I thought we still had a chance in the game Ken Seo scored an excellent try off a brilliant looping pass from, from Tui Lola here who uh, 
he did probably didn't have his best game for Salford, but I think with Richard Marshall at the moment being a new coach, he's probably just trying to work out his his, his best thirteen, you know, his best seventeen anyway. And you know, there's a few positional changes, and maybe he'll make changes this week. I'm not too sure. But for Chris Nenny, who's been such a stalwart for Salford last season, yeah, a pretty poor game really. He, he knocked on a couple of times, and it, it led to tries for St. Helens. So it was mistakes really that, that that cost Salford. You know, a few more tries in that second. I think Alex Warmsley. His try was a poor one to concede, you know, taking the ball in there, such a big man from 25 yards out, he just trundled over the line there and took a load of defenders with him. So I think Richard Marshall will be looking to tighten up his defence and also looking at, um, you know, stamping out the errors and the, and the simple errors, the simple knock-ons as well, you know, coming out of yardage. There was a few times there where we, we dropped the ball and you can't afford to do that against a side like St. Helens who, who just throw the ball around from, from left to right and, the, you know, they've got strike players everywhere. And You know, I, I wasn't too despondent, Rob. I think I've seen all the games this weekend and I think St. Helens are red and shoulders, the, the best side in the league for me. And, they, and they're going to be up there. They're going to be the, the side to beat, albeit some of the other clubs had, had players missing. St. Helens look pretty strong and uh, I think they're going to be the side to watch. Yeah, talking about Richard Marshall. I spoke to him uh, after the game against Settlers, and this is what he had to say. All right, Rick, it's Rob. Hi, Rob. Uh, defeat tonight against Settlers. Talk us through it. Yeah, it, it was probably the one... It, it was a difficult one for us uh, because we, we felt that we'd done some really good things within the within the game. We had, I thought, we defended really strong at times. Um, I, I know we conceded full of points but at the same time St. Helens were, were, were white hot they've, they've sort of started the season where, where they finished um, we're a new team it'll take time for us to gel it will take time for us to find our combinations I thought as I said I thought defensively at times we were really strong and you know and we outmuscled them but we just couldn't do it consistently for the 80 minutes Yeah you made a few errors which cost you points in territory but you absorbed a lot of pressure with gritty defence does that give you mixed feelings about what happened? It does, it does, and you've got to take confidence um, from the from the times where yeah you were holding we were holding settlements over the line and and we were scrambling. We had some really good scramble uh, try savers, but at the same time some simple things and simple errors with the ball. I mean even even the first try there where it's just a catch. You know we need to get that right after a minute of the game and we're already on the back foot. Um, and Tommy Makinson's a fantastic player, and we, you know we know he's he score he's try scoring ability. Um, but yeah, I thought when we when we scored our points in the second half, we should really have kicked on from there. I, I, I was really confident after that, but at the same time, obviously Saints, you can't you know as the saying goes, you can never write off the Saints. Yeah, attack, attacking wise, uh, well that's a bit of field position. Uh, but when we did get up to the Saints line, we did ask questions. Is that something top, top, we're looking to improve on next week to get up there more? Yeah, we've practised quite a lot in that area, in, in, in good ball and our kicking. And uh, we just didn't get enough opportunity down there. And that was down to ourselves, nobody else, down to us. Um, and our discipline, I thought our discipline, obviously, it's, it's a new um, start of the season. The referees are obviously keen and they're looking at in and around the rook and onsides and offsides. Uh, but we've got to be better there with our with our discipline in and around that rook area. Who was your standout player for Salford tonight? Uh, Et Elijah Taylor. I thought he was fantastic. Uh, I thought his work rate was was outstanding. Uh, we only brought him off just to give him a give him a rest, but he could have played the eighty minutes and, and would have been, still been running around now if we'd left him out there. I thought he was brilliant for us. Any injuries to report? Uh, we've got a couple of knocks. Uh, I think Dan Sargison's got a knock and um, Lee Mossop had a bit of a shoulder 
in the first half. Um, obviously, uh, I hope the Ignatius pass is okay. You know, I didn't look at that. Looks like a heavy contact. Certainly, come off second best there. But um, yeah, for our guys, um, we'll be in recovery. We'll review the game, and then we'll look forward to Hull next week. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the opportunity to iron out um, the mistakes, or will it be an opportunity to make changes? Not sure yet, but uh, you know, I can't. Our, our season's not defined off that one game, and, and, and uh, but as you said, we have got a, a strong, fit squad, and can we afford the luxury of players not performing? No, probably not, at the, even at this stage of the season. So we'll have to look at that. Um, but at the same time, it's a team sport, uh, you know, and the team comes first. Were you impressed with the fitness levels? Because obviously Saints threw a lot at you in that game and just kept coming. I was. Yeah, I was. And I said that to the players. We, we didn't look we didn't look um, too tired towards the end of the game. Obviously, there, there was a period there in that last 20 minutes where Saints were just playing their game at, at a different pace. We couldn't quite uh, sustain that. Uh, if we'd have managed to score again, I reckon it would have been a different, obviously, a, a different end to the game. But we, we, we couldn't find our momentum in that second half. You know, it was pretty, you know, going in at the first half, was it 13 nil? they dropped a goal, they kicked it and, and, and they, they, they chose to take a conversion. I thought there was a, quite a lot of respect there for us and what we were doing in and around there. Um, but we just couldn't capitalise on that. Cheers, Rick. Thanks. OK, thank you. So that was Rich Marshall talking to myself, Paul, after the game and obviously disappointed with, with the defeat. Uh, but you can see sort of green uh, growth uh, of op- opportunities uh, to come. Yeah, you certainly can. There's an awful lot of new players in that, that side. As I said before, he probably needs to to um, you know tinker things around and, and get his right his, his, his right starting lineup. It's been a tough pre-season, really. I mean, you've only had one pre-season game against Wigan, so it's hard to... It's, it must be hard in training to... You know, to judge how things are going, you want that full contact, and you only get that by playing matches, don't you? So there's an awful lot of rugby league to be played. Yet, you know, we've seen teams beaten today who, who were fancied to do well. You know, over the weekend as well, teams have lost who, who they thought we were going to win. So I think it's no mean feat losing to, to St. Helens. They're a good side, aren't they? And uh, you know, they proved that on, on on Friday night. So yeah, there's a lot of improvement to be made there. We've got Hull FC uh, Easter Saturday coming up this week. That's going to be a tough game. They had a good win at the weekend over Huddersfield, a much fancied Huddersfield side. And I was impressed by Hull. They've made some good signings as well. You know, Josh Reynolds has come in from the NRL, a real a real top player. And they've also got some other good players, Max Need, Jake Connor, those sort of guys. So that's going to be a real tough test for Solver this week. I think all the games are watching the, the, the games at weekend. People have sort of said, oh, Hulk are going to struggle. Wakefield are going to struggle. I was impressed by both of them. I thought Wakefield were tremendous against Leeds. You know, Tom Johnson scored two fantastic tries. And Hulk Ayer come back with a storming comeback only to go down in Golden Point extra time against Catalan. So it was real mouth-watering start to the season. All the games were, were really exciting. I think with with the Salford, uh, Paul, the problem was too many penalties and and mistakes. That's the difference between Saints and Salford. I think top sides um, don't make many mistakes. I know it's the early doors. I know I know there's there's plenty of games to come. Um, we're just hoping that the boys can keep that elite mentality because they've shown for me in the Wigan game and for 70 minutes in in this Saints game that they can match the top teams every step of the way. Well, he certainly can. Yeah, it was 13 points to six, wasn't it? With about 20 minutes to go, there was nothing in that game really. And it's a pretty similar game to the, the, the grand final you know, a couple of years ago. I think for me, St. Helens just had a bit more composure. You know, they do things right, they complete the sets of six, they take the chances when they get them. We had a, a lot of chances in the first half. We had about five sets of six on the St. Helens line, you know, back to back sets. 
uh, from putting pressure on. Oh, Kevin Brown's kicking game there was was really good. But when you are putting that pressure on, you've got to convert. You've got to score points. You can't come away after five sets of six with no points. So uh, that's something we've got to work on. As you said, the errors. The errors is a big one. Making individual errors and knocking on there, especially in your own 25. You're handing the, the opposition on a plate now, aren't you? Particularly with no scrums. You, you've got that set there. You can play it quick. A team like Satan will get rolling quick and, and, and they'll, they'll turn you over and, and score points. So don't think so if we're a million miles off. Like I said, I think it's just composure and perhaps a bit of rustiness as well that they need to iron out. And um, I'm sure they'll be back and I think they'll be, you'll see a much improved performance on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, Hull FC Saturday. They were very good today. I watched them against uh, Huddersfield, and you know what? What do you take from that from that game? Do you, do you think obviously Salford will need to up their ante to to beat the likes of Hull? Yeah, I think it'll be another tough test. I, I was quite impressed with Hull today. It was it was one of those. I thought that was a fifty fifty game that Hull against Huddersfield. I couldn't really decide who I thought was going to win the game. I knew it'd be a close one, and I was surprised at the, at the way Hull started that game. I think they were twenty points to nil up at at one stage. So uh, we know about them. They've got some good players, haven't they? You know, you look at that side there, that that halfback partnership of Josh Reynolds and Max needs a good one. Danny Alton's an excellent hooker. The back line they've got a a really good one as well with Tuma Barvey, Josh Griffin, Jake Connor's a real maverick, isn't he? As well, and the pack of forwards is pretty good. They've got they've got strength all over the pitch. They've got a really good squad and I think for Hull over the last sort of I'd say five or six years they've probably just not had the halfbacks they've had the rest of the side they've had the three quarters and the, the pack they've just not had the halfbacks to guide around the pitch Mark Snead's probably been doing the job on his own Jake Connor's played there at halfback he's probably better at fullback because of his his style of play have they found the right guy in Josh Reynolds well we, we did certainly hope so he's a very proven NRL player you know played in grand finals over there so if they can click there they could be a real team to watch this season so this is going to be a tough test for Salford on, on Saturday it really is but like I said before I don't think you're going to get any easy games. Look at Lee. They, they went 18 up against Wigan and they looked absolutely awesome in that game. So they're going to be tough to beat as well and we've got them in a couple of weeks. So I don't think you're going to get any gimme sort of matches. Not in the first few rounds of the season. I think you're going to get tough games week in, week out. Does Richard Marshall shuffle his pack or does he go again? If I was Richard Marshall, I would. I can't speak for Richard Marshall. I think he should. Um, I probably... Maybe a bit controversial, but I think Chris Inouye needs dropping. I think you have to drop a guy after that if you want to get anywhere, Rob. I think you've got to be ruthless now. And when people make mistakes, we talk about the squad and we say, "Yeah, there's competition for places." To me, competition for places only comes in if you drop people when they've made mistakes. And I know we played well last season, but he was poor on Friday night. And somebody else, if there's somebody else there available, I think they deserve a chance to, to come in. Um, I was disappointed Reese Williams didn't play on Friday. I think he did everything right last season and. And to me, he should have been in the team. It should be up to other players to work their way in. So I think I'd, I'd definitely swap that round. If Morgan Escaray is fit, he has to come back in at full-back. I think Dan Sargison, for me, is a better player in the centre. I think Sargison and Watkins are, are better, better in those positions. Um, Matty Costello must be banging on the door. One player I thought was excellent on Friday and probably a guy that wasn't meant to play really or in the in the, the squad and no one's really mentioned him was Elliot Keir I thought he had a really really good game really solid he's not the biggest of blokes but he's probably you know sent a message to Richard Marshall there that, that he wants to play so it'd probably be very tough to, to drop him um, the rest of the side really I mean it'd be difficult really who else you'd bring in we've got a couple of other players injured haven't we so uh, so yeah I'd, I'd like to see him shuffle things around but that'd be up to Richard Yep. Uh, let's talk uh, Swinton Lions now. They are in Challenge Cup action. Uh, they played Oldham and won 23 points to 14. Great result for the Lions. Certainly is, Rob. They're now uh, a match away from Wembley, aren't they now? Because the, the way the cup competition goes this year, the, the, the four of those are now going to play off 
the four championship sides that are left are going to play off for the um, the 1895 Cup, aren't they? So even though they're still in the Challenge Cup, they'll play off for that as well now. So they win the semi-final of that, they'll play at Wembley no matter what happens. So it'll be interesting if Swinton got to the Challenge Cup final as well. They'd have to play two finals on the same day. So uh, the rugby league haven't thought about that one. But no, a great, great result for to, to see them beat Oldham. And it was quite a familiar um, familiar story. There's quite a lot of uh, ex-Solver players in the in the two lineups there today. I was looking at the, the two sides and you know looking at players like... Uh, you know, Richard Lapore was at Salford. You got Lewis Roberts who was at Salford as well, and uh, a couple of others in the Oldham side. Gareth Owen playing there, and uh, Liam Bent. So it was amongst others. So that it was nice. That it was a good game as well. I expected it to be a tough one today and a close one. And it, you know, it, somebody uh, told me in the week it's the first time that Swinton Lions have been on the BBC live on the BBC since 1981 when they played. Um, Wilkinson Rovers in the John Player semi-final, I think it was at Headingley. So it's a long time between drinks for Swinton to be on, the, on live on BBC, but they did it did themselves justice. Excellent win. Oh, Martin Ridyard as well, scoring a try, kicking three goals and dropping a goal. I think he's going to be a real talisman for Swinton this season. Look at their squad, the players they brought in. He's played at high level as Martin. He's played in the Super League. He's played for Lee there in a, in a good side. And I think he's going to bring an awful lot of experience to that team. And he's going to be a guy that can, can guide them around the pitch. But... You know, look at the game today. Mike Butter thought was excellent for them. And one guy who always impresses me is uh, is, is the Welshman uh, Rodri Lloyd. I think he's a real top player. And you know, Swinton have made a really good start to the season, haven't they? With two wins in the cup and uh, they're in Championship action uh, on Good Friday, I think now. So uh, that's when their league season begins. So uh, should be should be, could be good to see them in, in action on Friday. Yeah, twenty seconds to go, Paul. Challenge Cup, very exciting. Certainly is, mate. Certainly is, and I'd love to see uh, when the draws made. Uh, Salford Dross Winton. I think it'd be excellent that if, if those two got drawn together. Yeah, big thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting.